good to see you guys. I loved Andrea's ending of uh, worship there where she said, I hope that we would see him as he is. And the funny thing is, like, I don't usually get really clear thoughts from God suddenly, but at that time it was. And what God, I think, was saying to me is, like, kind of a question. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It basically asks, have you ever wondered why some of the most depressing people you know are Christians? Some of the most unhappy people in all of existence happen to be Christians. I was like, I don't know. I haven't thought about it that much, I guess, before. And it was almost clear as a bell is that their attitude is a reflection of what they believe about me. Their attitude is a reflection about what they believe about me. Meaning that our countenance, our view, our attitude is directly influenced by what we believe about who God is. And one of the reasons I love talking about God as being daddy God is because what it does is it reshapes and reframes and helps us reclarify who God really is. And when we truly understand who God is in the context of daddy, it changes everything. And so there's one thing tonight here that I'm going to share with you, and Eric kind of teased it, is that daddy God is a giver. Now, some of you guys don't know that I enrolled in theology school about five years ago. Some of you might be really um, surprised by that because I've said I have no education to do any of the stuff I do. Well, five years ago, I became a father. And becoming a father was the greatest theology lesson that I could have ever asked for because suddenly all the things I thought about God relating to me became untrue. Because the things that I believe God would do to me and relate to me suddenly never matched up to how I treat my own kids. And so the one attribute tonight that I'm going to focus on is the nature that God gives and how profound that is that Daddy God is a giver. And giving is really linked to his identity and his nature. You know the passage, God so loved the world that he gave. Inherent in his identity, in who he is, is the nature that he gives. The act that demonstrates God's love the most is not sacrifice, it's not righteousness, it's not creation, it's not glory. It's that he gives. Giving, in other words, is the greatest expression of love towards us. Some of us don't get in touch with the fact that God gives to us, and we'll talk about that more. But we can understand everything that's important about the heart of God tonight by understanding how he gives. Because God just doesn't give. He gives as a daddy gives. If you've missed some of the past few weeks, we talked about how the Spirit calls out in us, Abba, to God. The Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit, relates to the Father as daddy. Not king, not majesty, not lord, but daddy. And how that one particular truth should transform us. And so when we say that God gives, it's not like a benevolent king that gives to his peasants, you know. He gives as a daddy, and so I want to share about that. We can learn several things in this. And the first is this, is that daddy God delights in giving. When you come into the notion, the idea that God is not just king, imagine that he's actually Daddy God, you understand what that means as it relates to giving because a daddy loves to give. 
God just doesn't give in generalities. He delights in giving. For whatever reason, whenever I consider God giving to me, I always kind of thought that, well, God kind of like relinquishes things. <laughs> He's like, all right, you beat it out of me with all that prayer. You know, there you go, you know. In my mind, I never had this notion that God is excited, that he's delighting, that his heart leaps to give. Instead, it's like, beat the gates of heaven, like as if like he's not home. The language that we use when we ask God is it's pleading, it's not expecting. We think we have to convince God of our viewpoint when it comes to him giving to us. We have to get him in a good mood, remind him of all the good things we've done recently. I prayed twice today. But we understand that, that God is daddy. We understand in his nature is an excitement, is a delight to give. And this revelation was after I became a father because suddenly I realized that one of the best things you can do as a father is to give. It is one of the most fulfilling experiences that you can have. And not only is it enjoyable for me, it's enjoyable for God, that God loves to give. I'm actually convinced that God has a hobby and it's giving. It's the thing he loves the most besides you. It's his hobby or it's his pastime. And why is that? It's because because God delights in giving because he is good at it. God delights in giving because he's good at it. Now, let me pause for a second. Have you ever had someone who's given you a terrible gift? You're having like a gift that was given to you and you're like, you're actually offended. You're like, what are you doing? I mean, is this for me? <laughs> like, this is a mistake. Have you had someone give you a gift like that? Like, for me, if someone bought me running shoes, I might slap them. Or perhaps for my birthday, if someone took me to a vegan restaurant, I'd walk out and defriend them on Facebook. I wouldn't tolerate it. Maybe not that far. <laughs> or then there's the gifts that are passive-aggressive. Has someone ever given you a passive-aggressive gift? It's like, oh, sweet, a weight loss book. Thanks, thanks. I'm... Five steps to how to save your marriage. Awesome, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Or if I were to buy my wife conference tickets, one ticket, to the Submissive Wives Conference. Enjoy, honey. She's so un ungrateful for my sacrifice for her. Sometimes we are used to gifts sucking, that they aren't good. But the problem is that God is good at giving gifts. This is nothing like how God gives gifts. He is actually good at it. And just this week, I swear, like people have the weirdest ideas of how God gives. Just this week, someone says, God has given me this divorce to punish me. No, to, I'm sorry, to discipline me. Like it's a gift. Like I'm going through a divorce as a gift to discipline me. Like, what God are you praying to? Like, who? But unfortunately, a lot of people, a lot of our theology, when we don't have a vision of God as daddy, are like, yeah, that sounds about right. Not really just and, and stern. And I'm not going to get into, like, God doesn't give you cancer and disease and affliction because we spent, like, five weeks on that prior. So, But, but it begs the question is, is, why does it hurt our feelings when a friend gives us a terrible gift? Why does it bother us? Is it because you're like ungrateful or you're spoiled? 
I mean, after all, shouldn't you feel grateful for that gift that they purchased that was on clearance on the same day as your party with the gift card that they gave, that were given to themselves? Like, shouldn't you be grateful for that sacrifice they made? I mean, how dare you be so ungrateful for all the work that they went through not thinking about you to buy that gift? Why does it bother us? Why does it bother us that a gift that so gets it wrong about us, why does it bother us? Because these bad gifts hurt our feelings not because we're spoiled, but because gifts we receive make a statement about the gift giver to us. Let me explain. Gifts demonstrate what the gift giver knows about your heart. When someone gives you a bad gift, you're not like, I'm terribly ungrateful and this is totally useless. You're actually offended because your thought is, you have no idea who I am. When someone gives you a bad gift, it's not a, it's not a reflection of what you feel. It's actually a demonstration of what they believe about you and your heart. It's the realization and the revelation that they have no idea about your heart. And that's why it sucks. That's why it hurts. That's why you feel that pain. Is that the gift is not just useless. It's, it's that you have been totally misunderstood by their gift. And you're coming to the realization that they don't know you like maybe you thought they knew you or you hoped. And so these gifts completely miss your heart. Bad gifts. It's not about the money. It's not about the thing. It's about missing your heart, which is why we feel awful inside. And that kind of giving is against the nature of God. God doesn't do it like this. Why? Well, how does God give? When God gives, he aims for your heart. It's the difference. When God gives, he aims for your heart. The reason that God is so good at giving gifts is that he's so good at hitting your heart. The reason why his gifts are good is that he actually zeroes in on what's important to you and in you. And so just like we talked about gifts that miss your heart, have you ever had a gift that just like touches you to the core? That you're just like overwhelmed by, holy cow, you know me and you got it right. A plus, high five, I'm like actually without words. Now I've shared some of those experiences from some people that have uh, done some amazing things uh, for me, and, and I show this, but th last week, I had this encounter by a stranger, practically. Now, for some of you who don't know, I have a software business, and so the military happens to use our software. And so we have this client, he's in Sacramento, and so the military uses our software to do fundraising, to do banquets and airmen events and whatnot. So when, I was excited, like, meet the military guy. He walks in with like all his boots and camo and his patches and so I'm like, do I salute? What do I do? This is like, like trying to not make any jokes or anything like that. And so he comes in and, and we start talking and of course, like having a military client was like my dream because I would always love doing graphic design with like jets and F-15s and F-14s and I know the difference by the way and all the different military like shots of the helmet, you know, I loved it. And so here's my chance, like the guy comes in and is like, I'm going to do everything, just let me do it please. It's a joy to work on the military. He's like, what's up with like, I've never had someone's like that enthusiastic about working on this. He's like, well like, 
confessions like when I was younger, like I love the Top Gun movie. I actually named my son Maverick. You know, I'm just like feeling embarrassed. He's like slowly backing away. Like, all right, man. He's like, no, you didn't. He's like, yeah, I did. He's like, thought for a second. He's like, that's awesome. I was like, yes. And I loved air shows. I loved all those things. I was just military boy. So the military's been using our software for about a year. He sends me this crazy email like, Mark's confidential, urgent, I have to speak with you immediately. And now I'm, I've thought, like, the military's using my software. He needs to meet with me today. I clear my schedules, like, I don't know what's happening. I think I'm in trouble. And so he comes down to the office, like, about 30 minutes later. And based on what he knows from me, and this is totally an accident. I'm not great friends with this guy. He comes and hands me a confidential envelope. I'm like, is this my death papers? What is this? <laughs> And he has coordinated an exclusive trip for me to fly on the back of a Chinook helicopter through San Francisco. Like, you can't, like, if you want to go out and buy a ticket to do that thing, you can't. <laughs> it is the crazy thing. It's like, we're going to pick you up in Sacramento. We're going to go down to Treasure Island. We're going to buzz the city in San Francisco, go to San Jose, and then go all the way back again. And so, like, I'm thinking this is... You know, I'm just going to be there. I'm, like, freaking out the day that all this is happening. I overposted on social media. I'm sorry about that day, by the way. <clears throat> the crew chief, the crew chief is in there. He throws a little uh, uh, harness on me, straps a tether on me, and pulls me out to the back end. And I sit on the back of a Chinook helicopter for about 40 minutes. We buzzed. The Trans-American Tower in San Francisco, like, it was, it was insane. I'm, like, just speechless the entire time. Just my mouth is like, <laughs> I think the guy's, like, I was so appreciative and just so enthusiastic. The guy, I haven't heard from him since. <laughs> I think I overdid it. But here's a stranger had the inclination to know how to reach my heart with a gift. I mean, he could have given me a gift card. <laughs> if he really liked the software, like I could have gotten, I, have you ever gotten a gift card with like a partial balance on it? That's fun. <laughs> $20 Chipotle gift card? Sir, this only has $7 on it. <laughs> Got me again. But here a stranger somehow had gotten in tune that the best gifts reach your heart. He was able to give me something that no one else in the world really could, besides maybe the president. And so it begs the question, how does God give? Because this is a question people really want to ask. They debate about whether God gives you this or that. Does God, you know, give you through material blessing? Does he give you wisdom, favor? What does he do? What's the formula that God gives to his people? And it's, just, it's boiled down to this, that God gives in whatever way reaches your heart doesn't matter. The thing, the stuff, it doesn't matter. He gives an effort to reach your heart. So is it true that God gives you by an awesome car? I don't know. It depends on your heart. I have no idea. And that's why you can't pinpoint God's giving because it's based on you and your heart. It's based upon reaching you. You would never accept a person who universally gives everyone the same exact gift. And neither does God. God is the most relational being in all of existence, and he gives through relationship to reach your heart. 
And well, maybe you're like, well, I don't feel like I get anything from God. I don't feel like God gives to me. And that may be because your heart has become off limits to his reach. I'm not in touch with God's giving. Well, is your heart even open? Because if your heart's closed and saying, God, you can't have access to my heart, but I actually would like a car, you might not ever be satisfied. Because God is, is giving in the efforts to make inroads and connections to your heart. He is giving in the essence to create an experience, to establish relationship with you through giving. For it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. He establishes goodness. He establishes his, his goodness to you in the form of gifts, in the form of demonstrations, in kindness, in effort. Those are gifts in effort to create a relational experience with you that you would know him. All the point of all the good things in your life from God come from the perspective that he's trying to create an experience in relationship with you. Because the outcome doesn't matter. It's the destination that matters. Whatever it is that God demonstrates for you that reaches you, it doesn't matter whether it's a paperclip or Ferrari. It, as long as it reached your heart, I would prefer the Ferrari, frankly. But the point is that it, it, he gives in such a way that it reaches your heart. Because what I actually give my kids, this is how I know, is that I don't care. I do a lot of silly things for my kids for a laugh. Like I'll hit my face with pies, like I'll do anything. I'm always after their heart with whatever they want. I don't try and fit my gifts for them into a context of a box of like, well, they like this toy, or this is really in, in style, or these wood blocks are neat. Or, like I'm purely aiming after the experience of what reaches their heart. The gift is actually meaningless to me. Again, it could be paper clips. But the point is reaching their heart. And I truly believe that God's giving is unleashed when we allow his giving to create experiences within us. If you want to experience a radical release of giving in your life from God, invite him into the experience that you would actually receive at the heart level what he'd want to do. And suddenly you'll start realizing all sorts of things start happening to you. But that's entirely what God is after. The stuff and the things are just a means to an experience for God with you. Because he doesn't like, it doesn't really matter to him if you have a fast car or a slow car or a nice watch or a no watch at all. It doesn't matter to him. He is after. His goodness is in pursuit of your heart. And so everything good in your life is a gift from God in hopes that you have an experience with him that increases relationship. Because many of us, I think sometimes we would actually rather have the thing without the experience. We'd rather have our desire fulfilled in the flesh rather than our heart touched by the king. And we consider that God gives from a position of a daddy given to his kids it doesn't make any sense for God to give you the entire world if your heart is indifferent to him. It wouldn't matter to you. If your heart is closed off from him, he could literally drop a semi-truck of gold before you and your heart would be unchanged. And so what comes to you doesn't really matter if your heart is closed to him. And when God gives, here's the other part, when he gives, he actually has something in it for him when he gives to you. His gifts reach your heart, which satisfies him. And this is true, but there is something deeper and bigger beyond the fact that God simply gives good gifts. It says something about his enjoyment when he gives, and it's this. 
is that God, there's one truth that just rocks me, it's this one. That Daddy God delights in your delight. God actually takes enjoyment and delight in your delight. We forget that the gift experience, the gift exchange, there's two people who benefit. There's a person who receives, but also the person who gives. It's better to give than to receive. Why is that? It's because there's a mutual experience that takes place when God gives. Yes, um, um, excuse me, that the part of the gift-giving experience is that the gift-giver gets to experience you receiving the gift. That's what we miss in the whole gift-exchanging part, is that the gift-giver experiences the joy of actually having you receive what he gives. And so, yes, God gets something out of it when he gives to you. Because the gift has two effects. Your satisfaction of receiving and his joy of giving. Now, as a toddler, Scarlett, our little uh, daughter, she's four, almost five. When she was one, have you ever, like, had a YouTube video that you played, like, a million times? If you don't have kids, you probably haven't experienced that. But when you have kids, they'll get into, like, I want to watch this. And she would watch this horse video of, like, galloping horses that's, like, a five-minute-long video to, like, really sensational, dramatic music in slow motion, 1080p, you know, 70 frames, 60 frames a second, whatever. And she would, like, put it on repeat, 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 repeat. And I, I still don't know if you can repeat YouTube videos, but if that was around, I would have done it. But she would watch this thing a million times, and she developed this ravenous passion for horses. I'm not a huge fan of horses. I like things with brakes and throttles. <laughs> But my wife is a horse vet, so I get a lot of experience with horses. And that's other stories to be shared at later times. But my wife had a client, had an opportunity to have a connection with a miniature horse, to buy a horse. So on my daughter's second birthday, which at this point seems so insane to me at this point, we got our two-year-old little girl a miniature horse. And her, like, it was the most, you, you thought heaven opened up. And a horse, I, I actually think that's what happened, is the horse, like, dropped down. I'm, like, still pinching myself, like, we did that? And I feel, like, feel really bad because all the other kids are like, really? <laughs> you know, like, at two? You know, it was a scandal for our friends. But that picture right there, I cannot, I, I enjoyed her receiving the horse more than she enjoyed receiving it herself. I took delight in her delight. The best part was not the gift. It was the feeling that I got from experiencing what she felt. It's an amazing thing about giving, especially from a father and a daddy that wants you to receive, but also wants you to enjoy and to delight in it. Why? Not because that. It's weird, but because he actually gets delight and satisfaction from it himself. And then it hit me about the generosity of God that, that my delight in giving to her equaled her delight in receiving. And that that is the same pattern with God, with us. It's funny is that the greatest way 
that a child can thank you for a gift is actually to enjoy the gift. I don't want them to say the proper words. I want them to enjoy it. The only way to reward a daddy for a gift is actually to enjoy what was, what's given. And at this revelation, this is okay. These notions about God and giving are only a few years old for me. And what hit me like a hundred pound bag of something, I couldn't figure out what to say right there. What hit me in the face is that I've lived a lifetime experiencing the gifts of God, but never recognizing it was from him. And not only did I miss all the satisfaction of saying, God, this is from you. God, I, I appreciate you in this. Is I also missed all the experiences that didn't happen from recognizing that he gave it to me. Because I never thought, like, God gives these things. I never, like, connected him in the giving place of that. But you know the Bible verses James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father. Meaning that I don't care what is going on in your life, you've received some amazing, outrageous, good things from God, and you've never recognized it as that. Not only to, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty for what you didn't recognize. I'm just trying to point out that when God gives into your life for the presence of an experience, and we didn't have that experience, it fell short of what God desires. Maybe that's why the Bible says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. It's kind of interesting. So the Bible instructs us, whether large thing or small thing, always do it with this intentionality that you are recognizing it's for God's glory, his presence, his purpose. It's, it's all for him. Why? It's because everything that he's doing to give to you is to establish relationship and connection with you. Now, if you were to come with me riding dirt bikes, it's kind of like a worship session these days. Because I want to take this to heart. Because delighting in the goodness of life is actually a spiritual experience because it satisfies the one who is giving to you. Let me say that again. Delighting in the goodness of your life is actually a spiritual experience because it satisfies the one who is giving it to you. And so the command to whatever you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. It's a command to say whether large or small, whether... You know, whatever it is in your life, do it in such a place that you invite God and experience God and embrace in the goodness of him in it. So if you were to join me on the dirt bike track, I'm like around every corner like, oh, yes, Jesus, brah, you know, over the jumps. I'm like trying to tilt. I'm like, Jesus, you know. I'm trying to take in every moment on the track and with my dirt bike, even cleaning, like that's the sparkliest exhaust system I've ever seen. Thank you, Jesus, for that, you know. Like, I just, I try to immerse myself into it. It's one of the areas I'm most in tune with God. Probably because I'm partially scared for my life also simultaneously. <laughs> but the, th the same is in surfing, too. Is that we just have these spiritual experiences in our life. We have these spiritual encounters and things that we love. The things that you love, I contend and submit to you, are actually from God. There's something innate in you. That God has placed a unique attribute in you to love the things that you do because it's an intersection for him to have connection with you. And so the things I love the most, I try and invite the presence of God in the most in those places. Because life is a gift. You know that? Life is a gift. 
and gifts are meant to be enjoyed. So if there's no joy in your life, then there's something very wrong. How can we be Christians and have some of the most depressing people on the face of the earth? Our life is a gift. Maybe it's because we have the idea of how God gives to us completely backwards, which I did. See, I can be up here all the way like, okay, God gives, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. Except this, is that God is not threatened by your enjoyment of his gifts. God is not threatened by your enjoyment for loving what you love. Now, I don't know about you, but I was very insecure for a lot of my life. Like, I don't want to love anything too much because if I do, it'll get taken away, you know. (laughs) I, I had backwards thinking like that. Let me tell you something. that When I look at my daughter and she's playing with a toy, I'm never like, she's playing with it too much. Uh-oh. Oh, she's enjoying that way too much. I didn't foresee this. Take it back. I'm never, I'm never like dismayed that she loved something I gave her too much. It's the opposite. If she didn't like something I gave her, I'd kind of be like really sad. Like, what did I do wrong? Is this a bad gift? <laughs> because I'm giving towards her heart. But this is completely counter to our theology. Because a lot of us, we've been fearful of the things we love forsake that the thing that we love turns into idolatry. Maybe I'm the only one who's ever feared that. Don't love it too much. Get rid of the idols in your life. I would never try and get attached to anything too much for sake of fear that it became an idol. And so I made it a habit of never attaching to any of the things I liked. If you know me, I have a, a, a lot of different interests and a lot of passions, probably because of that. I don't know. But I was always afraid that the thing I love was competing with God for his glory and for his attention. And it's the most insane idea you could ever have. When you come into the truth that God is giving you all the things that you love, the things that you don't, the things you don't even recognize are from Him, it's all from Him. Okay, Amen. When we understand, we redeem all the, the blessings of our life are from Him. We actually can enjoy them to the fullest. He didn't say, "I've come to give you life and life somewhat better." <laughs> he said, "I come to give you life and life more abundant." He said, "I want you to have the best experiences with this life that you have and everything that you receive. I want you to go to the hill for it. I want you to go to the max. I want you to enjoy it like you've never enjoyed anything more than this. Why? Because when you do, you encounter me because I'm reaching your heart." But still, how do we deal with the idolatry thing? Well, idolatry. I don't know if you've ever, like, worshipped your dirt bike or your car. I haven't. So you think about, like, well, I want these things to become an idol. Well, what does that mean? Because certainly it's something. And idolatry is something. It's not like it's impossible. Idolatry, is simply put, is when something becomes God in your life. When something becomes God in your life. Now, again, I haven't worshipped my dirt bike and said, dirt bike, give me like a better job or something like that. I haven't made sacrifices. I haven't done any of that stuff, obviously. But what does God do? 
When we think that idolatry is that something becomes God in your life, you have to ask yourself, what does God do? God gives you value and gives you identity. So if there's something in your life that you seek that suddenly is giving you value and giving you identity, that's idolatry. Has nothing to do with your enjoyment. Has nothing to do with your delight. It's a thing that becomes God in your life is that when it influences your value and your identity. And yes, cars, houses, money can be those things. If your entire identity is wrapped up into you know, whatever house you have or whatever place you, know, you get and however money you have, like sure, that can definitely be an idol, but that is different than what I faced, which was I'm afraid of ever enjoying anything too much because it's unholy for me to have this much fun. I think Christians should be the happiest people. We should have the most hope, right? Like, we're God's children of the king. Like, that should, like, excite some of us. We're not losers in the kingdom. You're the head, not the tail. You're a king. Like, this is a profound statement I heard this week. God's really rich. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> Shaddy said that. It's like, yeah, like his glorious riches, you know, like, we, we are cut from the righteous cloth. We actually should demand better from ourselves. It's the things that we pursue that we want to define us is when we get in trouble. And God is not in competition for enjoyment. He's actually helping create that enjoyment in your life. You guys okay? One more quick one. And this is the last one is... I noticed something funny as I began to give to my daughter and to my son. Delighting in it, experiencing joy in it. There was something that was bizarre that was happening in me. It wasn't my reaction to say, oh, this is too much or just enough. You know what came to my mind? We need to do more of this. So the last one is that daddy God is drawn towards children who delight in his gifts. The exchange that I have in giving to my kids doesn't say that's sufficient, that's enough, barely enough. It's, I want to do this more. When my children delight, it calls forth in me more generosity. This past Christmas, we gave our daughter a little tiny Ariel in a wedding dress. My daughter loves weddings, she loves Ariel, and this is like a Jesus figurine to her practically. It costs, I think, $15. And she is just like, all, this toy is like survived to be her number one thing. And she like carries it everywhere. And heaven forbid if that thing ever gets lost. I mean, she just loves it. She's all in it. And what calls forth in my heart is to give her more aerial stuff. We're going to do an aerial mermaid birthday party for her. We're actually going to go down to Disneyland. I've like scheduled dinner with Ariel in the first week of November for her. Why? Is because when your children delight in your giving and creates that relation experience, all you want to do is to have more of it and experience more of it. Now your response to God's gifts actually influence his giving nature. It inspires him to do more. Meaning that your delight in this life, your delight in the goodness of God, your delight in the good things that you've been given through God actually beckons more generosity from him to occur. 
that as you enjoy and experience a life that actually attracts the Lord's giving nature to you, you're like, where does it say that in the Bible? I'll show you. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Whether you're in need or you have abundance, you can delight in the Lord with whatever you have. Whether you have air in your lungs, it's good enough. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. There's more than enough to delight in the Lord, no matter what you have in your life right now. The question is, will you do that? And do you want more? Do you see the pattern? Delight, and he gives. Delight, and he gives. And people are like, well, you know, what about spoil? Like, aren't, like are you advocating that like, we get spoiled in the kingdom? Well, I'm not like, I guess I'm not terribly afraid of that, I guess. <laughs> like, if we're the... The king's children, like, I expect that he gives lavishly to his kids because he's the king. I'm okay with that theology. Here's what's interesting. When you think of a spoiled brat, what do you think about? Someone who does not delight. Someone who's unaffected by the gift. You're not spoiled if you're euphoric in delight. You're not spoiled if like you are having the greatest time of your life encountering a relationship with God. You're actually spoiled when your heart is closed and you're unaffected by the gift. That's what it means to be spoiled. And I contend to you that you can actually be spoiled in the kingdom without God giving you many things. Because your heart's closed off. Because you refuse to have anything that reaches you. Now you might be thinking like, well, what about discipline? <laughs> the discipline of God. What about you know, can we ruin the gifts of God? Can we stop them or, and can we thwart them? It's a good questions, and I'll answer those the next time we meet. <laughs> but let me leave you with this one thing. Is that be okay with the truth that God is inviting you to enjoy the life he gave you. Be okay with that reality. You're the hope of the world, the light on the city of the hill, not the depressed people in the valley. Your life, your exuberance for life actually is a reflection of his goodness. Whatever your situation is, your ability to thrive and to delight is a reflection of who you believe God is and it actually demands an explanation. We're saying like live in such a way that it demands an explanation and you're like, I have the best car ever. This is great. Thank you, Jesus. For it. And someone's like, it's a broken down 84 Corolla. I don't get it. Like tell me why you are like this. Like because... I'm happy with what I have because God is good even with this clunker and I'm believing for that in my delight for this, what I have, like a Ferrari might be coming one day. I don't hold God to it, but I just know that my ability to delight in what I have releases what I will have. It's time God's children start acting like God's children. It's time that we stop acting like we are the orphans that have been Sneaking into the kingdom to get into the pool. It's time that we actually lay claim to who we are in the kingdom, that we have a God who is great and is good, who gives to you, and that we actually can enjoy it without shame, without embarrassment. And whatever your life is, like, it's, it's really holy to, like, apologize for things, isn't it? You're like, hey, that's a nice shirt. You're like, I got it on clearance. It's terrible. And like, like, you don't want to even accept it. Hey, man, you did an awesome job there. I was, it was terrible. I just said, glory to God, whatever, you know. It's time we stop being embarrassed. Like, when someone comes to my daughter and, like, sees that she's got a toy, I don't want her to apologize that her daddy was good and gave it to her. 
I want to say, like, I have a good daddy. He loves me. I know that not all of us have had that earthly father experience, and not all of us can expect that on earthly representation, but the good news is all of us can expect it on a heavenly realm. Your life can take a radical change with how you perceive your life and the goodness of God to love you, to give you good gifts, and he's not in competition with whatever he does good in your life. It's actually embarrassing for God to do something good in your life and for you to apologize for it. It's actually insulting for God to do an amazing work to bless you in radical ways and have you hide it under a, a box or a shill and, and, and feel sad and embarrassed and apologize for it. Embrace the great things that God has done in your life because it brings him delight. If you really want to please God, right? If you really want to please God, begin to enjoy what he's already given you in your life. That's all I got for you tonight. I love you guys. So I'm going to ask you guys to um, just consider risking. Because that was such a nice sermon. I really liked that sermon. I posted that on my page. I took really good notes. So we listen to these awesome sermons, and they're so nice. And we go home, and we don't do a thing with them. <clears throat> One of my great defense mechanisms, and I ha I'm embarrassed to say I used it for years, I learned when I was uh, pretty early not to look forward to anything. That way I will not be disappointed. I hated to be disappointed. And I became really good at that. My life was really flat. And I think a lot of us as believers are that way. We listen to Eric's sermon, it's like, Daddy God is a giver. But we don't expect anything for us personally. I don't want to put him to the test, because if I do, he might let me down. And I totally relate to that. Last week, I had the best birthday week I've ever had. Because I got celebrated on Sunday. My birthday was on Thursday. I got celebrated the Sunday before. And then different people celebrated me all week long. And in the past, I would have felt kind of like, uh, I, I have to be honest, like I, in years past, have felt like, they're really being nice to me. This is really nice of them to be nice to me on my birthday. But I didn't think that this year. Um, I actually thought, wow, I like being here. I'm the birthday boy this year. And so I enjoyed every single moment of it. Um, one of the guys that I meet with every week, his name is Chad, and he said, can you run by the house for lunch this week? And I had to tell him the story because... I've been working on it, and that was my best birthday week. But I got to his house for lunch. He has a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And I'm playing with the kids. And we sit down, and Sandy, his wife, made us salads. And then she made us orange chicken. And I had noticed when we came in, there was a big mirror, and it said, happy birthday. And I was, today I had to, t to tell Chad, I was halfway through lunch, before I realized, because I was thinking, I don't remember any of the kids being born. They have four. I don't remember any of them being born this week. I'm like, wow, what did I miss? And then about halfway through lunch, I was like, oh, oh, that's for me. Oh, that's right, because today's my birthday. And so what I'm, what I'm in the process of, and I'm only about 40 years late, but 
What I'm in the process of is really starting to expect God to do something. I have a young man that God's given me as a son, and I told him the other night, I adore you. And he's grown. So that I know that might sound kind of weird to some of you, but I don't care. And I said, I adore you. And he goes, I'm really trying to get used to that, but I have no grid for that, and I hope someday it means something. And I said, well, I'll just keep saying it until it does. <laughs> I invited a daughter to a dinner I'm going to have this week, and she said, well, if you're sure you want to have me, and I was like, didn't I just ask you? <laughs> That's what God is asking you to do with this sermon. Don't just listen to it and go away, oh, that's such a nice fuzzy feeling. And then like 10 minutes down the road, you're like, wow, how in the world am I ever going to make life work? So tonight I want to ask you to do something bold. And that is, if you're a person who's kind of at the place that I'm growing out of, and you, uh, you, you don't get up every morning going, where's my present? You get up every morning and you're kind of like, I am not going to be disappointed. I'm not going to be disappointed today because I'm not going to expect you to do anything today. I've been missing my quiet time for about two weeks, so we're cool. If you're a person who struggles with that, with believing that God is a giver, I'm going to ask you to stand up because I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to wait just a minute more because I think there's a couple of you that the Holy Spirit's telling you to not be gutless and not be afraid. Stand up. So stand up. There you go. Now I'm going to ask those of you who are sitting to go to people who are standing and pray for them. I'm going to pray over you. And then I'm going to stop praying, and they're going to pray for you, okay? So I'm going to wait until everybody has somebody with their hand on their shoulder. Awesome. So as a father in this house, I just break the power of the orphan spirit off your life. The very same authority that God's teaching me to walk in, I call you too. I break the power of the lies, the word curses, the accusations, and all the agreements that you have made with those things. I break the oppression off your life. And I speak hope. I speak a tsunami of hope to flood your DNA like you've never experienced. That you'll walk in a new walk with Daddy God as his beloved, adored child. I pray these things in Jesus' name.